Listen to this from God's word, Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you to let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Friends, that was spoken by a guy named Moses, who was almost 120 years old. The whole book is laid out where Moses gives his last words, three messages, where he reminds them in the first 11 chapters, hey, remember where we've been. 12 through 27, remember where we are. And then what's going to happen in the future when you actually enter the land. And then at the end of chapter 34, Moses walks up the mountain, and he looks out, and he sees the land that God has promised to give his people, and that's where Moses dies. So this is some of the last words on Moses' heart to God's people. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us understand it. Lord, we thank you for your word. As always, Lord, I ask that you would help us all to hear a better message than the one that I preach. Lord, that, that you would... Remind every single one of us that we don't so much need a sermon as we do a Savior. That you would remind each of us 
how good you are, how great you are, how glorious you are, how loving you are. Holy Spirit, that you would bring us to Christ again, that we might behold you, Jesus, and remember that you are our Savior, that you are the one who has gone before us and done what we haven't, do, haven't done and what we can't do, that you would bring us to God. So Lord, have your way with us, teach us, do whatever you need to do to bring us to Christ, for we pray in his name, amen. After one of my high school basketball games that we lost, we ended up being in the locker room before the coach came in. And as we're in the locker room, we're talking about the game that just completed, the game that we lost, and we weren't too happy about losing. So we were talking about why we lost, and we laid out a bunch of things that we thought we had done or not done that contributed to our loss. After we had done that for a little while, coach came in the locker room, and he decided that he was going to tell us and talk to us about the game. And so he affirmed many things that we said, even though he didn't know what we said. But then he said to us, guys, the main reason, the main factor, the main contributing factor in why you lost tonight is because on defense, you never lifted your hands up. You just stood there, kind of bend your knees sometimes, and just had your hands down at your side. And all of us were like, what? You're crazy. We didn't agree with him at all. I know that because after he left, we talked about it. We thought he had lost his mind. What is he talking about? We didn't lift our hands up and play defense. Of course we did. Well, we had practice the next morning because we lost the night before. So we got up early, came into practice, did some warm-ups. And after warm-ups were over, coach pulled us over the side. We huddled up, and he played a video for us from last night's game. And guess what we saw on the video? We didn't lift up our hands and play defense at all. Coach was 100% right. What he was doing with watching film and watching film with us was this. He was processing our past to equip us for the future. Get it? He made us see what we couldn't see because we thought we knew what was going on and what the problem was. And he was showing us evidence and saying, here, let's process last night's game. And in processing last night's game, I'm equipping you for your future. Well, guess what God was doing as God's people were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? Guess what he was doing for them? I'll tell you, he was being gracious to them. 40 years he was being gracious to them. And you know what he was doing? He was giving them time to process their past so that they might be equipped for their future. The point of Deuteronomy 8, if you want to know what of the world are we talking about today, that you can take out these doors with you and hopefully bring it into your heart and have that affect everybody around you by God's grace, here's the point. God gives us Deuteronomy 8 so that we can process what it's like living in the wilderness so that we'll be equipped for the future. That's where we're going. And we got two stops today. The first one is found in verse 2 that you find these two pivotal ideas in this chapter. If I had more time, I could go into an academic discussion about this, but I won't. This chapter is arranged uh, in a very specific way. Two ideas. Remember and don't forget. Verse 2 says, remember. If you look around verse 11 or 12, it's going to say, lest you forget. It's written that way for a reason. Can't go into it now. God wants us to process our past 
so that we would be equipped for the future. Remember and don't forget. So let's start with remembering. Remember that we are in the wilderness. That's where God's people are. They're in the wilderness. They're not to the promised land yet, but they're close. And when you think about the wilderness, you gotta think about the desert. Do you know what it's like to live in the wilderness or live in the desert? Let me tell you what it's like. It's really hot during the day and potentially really cold at night, and there's no shelter. If you live in the wilderness or live in the desert, what you also find out is this. It's not only hot and cold, and there's not many places to stay or to have shelter, there are not a lot of resources. It's not that there isn't water in the desert. There's a little bit of water in the desert, but there's just not enough to actually sustain you for a long period of time so that you could actually live there. There are some resources available, but there's not enough. The point is that when you are in the desert, you can't survive on your own. You need help from the outside. You need something outside of yourself to provide for you because you can't provide for yourself. And guess what happened when God's people were in the wilderness? God was providing for them 40 years. Look at the text with me. Over and over and over, God tells you what he's doing to provide. Look at verse 1. In the midst of their wandering for 40 years, they had the promise from God that they would get into the promised land. Do you see that? So even though they're wandering around, even though things are difficult, God has told them, oh, my people will get into the promised land. Make no mistake about it. They will get there. So even in the midst of hardship, they could cling to the promise of God. Look at verse 3. What else did God do? He provided them with food, miraculously, manna. Do you remember this? God's wanting them to process their past. He provided manna for them that uh, they couldn't create. Their fathers didn't even eat it. They got to eat it. Remember? It was kind of like a little cake dipped in honey. God provided for that provided that for them miraculously, that it might humble them, that they might realize they can't even provide for themselves a daily supply of food. Then look at verse four. How else does God provide for them? He tells them, he's saying, think about your past, process your past. You've been in the wilderness 40 years, and guess what? I made your shoes last. Did you notice that? All the way down to that detail. Your shoes didn't wear out. Anybody in here had a pair of shoes 40 years? Maybe you, you, you might have, okay? I'm not, that's not a question where I think you might say no to everything. You might, maybe. God provided for his people miraculously where their shoes lasted in the desert, in the heat, and their feet didn't swell. That's what verse four says as well. So in 40 years, God's people in the heat and in the cold had shoes so that and the nourishment that they needed in order to make sure that they were able to be healthy. God provided all of that for them and more. Look at verse 7 through 10. Look at what God tells them here. He's bringing us into a good land that is going to have plenty of water, that is going to have wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees and honey, Eat and eat bread without scarcity. You will lack nothing. You're going to have enough iron and you're going to be able to dig copper out of these places. Guess what? God is going to give you all of these things. You see, it's not just that God begins by promising them that they're going to get into the land. 
It's not just that he's provided for them when they're wandering for 40 years. He gives them the anticipation of what to expect when they get there, knowing that he is going to provide for them every single step of the way. Isn't that great? Remember that. Process your past, he's saying. Oh, by the way, do you remember God was angry with his people? Remember that from last week? Yes, in the midst of his anger, he's continuing to provide. you got to hold all that stuff together. In the midst of him being upset about them not going to the promised land, he was still gracious and still provided, even though not everyone was going to go into the land. You remember? Those that despised him, that didn't believe, they would not enter the land. But even so, even in the midst of their unbelief, they were still eating. They still had shoes. They still had feet that weren't swelling up. God was providing for them. That's what it means to live in the wilderness. Well, guess what? We're living in the wilderness now. If you were to read the book of Hebrews, you would find that God tells us in chapter three, he brings out this whole wilderness experience and assumes that we are still in the wilderness now. Right now. So if you think this is some remote story that actually happened in history that's literally true and has no application for us today, nope. God himself would say what actually happened in the wilderness actually is recorded for us in the Bible. It means something for us. We are still living in the wilderness today. New Testament sometimes calls it exile. This place is not our ultimate home as is. One day it'll be all made new. But you are living in the wilderness now. You ever thought about this? You are living in a place, the world, in which there are things that are available to you that provide things for you. You have jobs, you have family, you have the, um, um, the hope of accomplishment and what that might get you one way or another. You, you have the, for, for some of you that are really competitive, you have the thrill of competition available to you every day. We have an almost unlimited choice for entertainment. You have the hope every day that you might actually be able to help someone. That your life and what you do in your life every day is actually useful for people. You have all of that. The ability to acquire the food that you need, you have all of that. But guess what? None of it goes deep enough. None of it. None of that can ultimately satisfy. None of it. Even though it's important, even though you have it on a regular basis, even though it's useful, it will not ultimately satisfy. And when you throw in this, in addition to just living in the world that we live in, we have unexpected challenges. We have unexpected uh, frustrations. We have trials. <clears throat> we even have suffering in the world that we live in, don't we? So it's not just that we have the ability to provide. It's that we also face challenges that oftentimes are unexpected. Like, I don't know, the market crashing? Disease? Unexpected disease? The unexpected deaths? The losing of your job that you didn't realize was going to happen? 
The times when you get stabbed in the back by those that you thought were your friends and close companions. Not only can we not make it in the world by ourselves that will deeply and ultimately satisfy us, we also have to deal with all the hardships that come with it. Because you see, living in the wilderness, it's a place of not finding complete fulfillment. It's the place where people die. It's a place that doesn't ultimately satisfy. In other words, we still need someone from the outside to come into our lives and make sense and give meaning to everything that we do all the time every day. Because those things that we do every day, whether it's competition or caring for our families or providing for food or servicing other people or doing something that is useful to others and develop, excuse me, developing friendships, we need something that makes sense of all of that so that our lives actually, so that we actually understand in our lives and through everything that we're doing they were connecting to what does ultimately satisfy and does bring fulfillment. We need someone from the outside, just like God's people in the Old Testament. We need the same thing. We need God to remind us and make sense of everything that's going on. The hardships, the trials, the loss, the backstabbing, the disease, the deaths, the frustration, all of it. You see, we're living in the wilderness now too, aren't we? We're still there. Well, you also need to know this. The wilderness, the place that we live, without it, without the challenges and the unexpected things, we might not meet God. Without the challenges and the surprises that happen, you know, the things that we would never put on our 10-year plan for our lives, without those happening, we might never grow in the way that God really wants us to. Yes, it's a place of death and lack of fulfillment, but it's also the place of life and growth because God comes in and we meet him in the wilderness and we see that he continues to provide. And we understand more and more that he makes sense of everything that we're doing every day. It's there that we meet God. And we grow. And we mature. So remember the wilderness and remember that you're in the wilderness right now. And also remember that wilderness is a place of testing. If you look at verse 2, you'll find it there. God did this to test his people. It's also in verse 16. The wilderness is a place of testing. That's what he says. And that means when you think about testing, realize that there are a couple different types of tests. You know, many of you have taken tests. Some of you are taking tests. right. Some of you are dreading tests that you got coming up soon. I know. I see you, Lydia. There's testing that we all have. And oftentimes there's a type of test that is meant to eliminate the weak or to distinguish between those that are qualified and not qualified. Make sense? 
In other words, if you desire to be a pastor in our denomination, there are lots of requirements that are there. You have to take eight tests a couple different times and about three or four other things. And if you don't do it, you're not qualified. And that means that doing those things is a qualification for you being received. Get it? There are those kinds of tests. That's not the kind of test that God's talking about here. The kind of test that God is talking about here, we'll take an analogy from our own life of our church right now. There are tests that say you're qualified or not and that are conditional in terms of your acceptance. But then there are other tests like what I'm about to talk about that actually come from a place of love. They start with love and move forward. Here's what I mean. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we got a good number of babies hanging around. Have you, have you ever watched and observed how parents relate to these little babies? Especially as they get a, a little bit bigger and they start to learn how to walk. You ever thought about the fact that as parents are trying to help their children walk, what they often do is stand behind their children, their child, and put their fingers out so that their child can hold on to these fingers? And then mom and dad are standing straight up. Do you realize what's happening in these moments? There's a test going on, and it comes because of their love. They are putting stress on these little legs, on these little people, and stress on their knees and ankles and feet. And they're putting a, a challenge in front of their children because they love them to see if they can stand up and if they can endure. And they're challenging them to take a step, and then maybe two and then maybe three, and then they're challenging them to continue to move and go and go and go to come to the point in which they might be able to stand without having to hold on to mom and dad's fingers, right? It's a test that is predicated on love. That is what God is telling us here, that he puts us in the wilderness to test us. So remember you're in the wilderness, and remember that you are going through tests, we all do. And don't forget, don't forget that you have the explicit purpose of God in going through the wilderness and enduring these tests. Do you know what the purpose is? It's explicitly stated in verse 16 that God is intending to do you good. He is intending to do you good. That's what he says. I'm doing this so at the end, I will be doing good to you. It's explicit. And that means this. That means that when God says he's doing us good, look how good he's being to us. You know, we read all that stuff in verses 7 through 10, right, about when you get into land, this, 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 and this. Well, look at verses 12 through 20. God lays out even more. I won't read all of these, but in summary, he basically says, you will eat and you will be full. You will have houses and you will live in them. You will have flocks and you will have silver and gold and that will multiply. He even says that he has enabled us to do everything. God is determined to do us good. 
that he is going to provide for us what we need to eat. He is going to provide for us what we, where we need to live. He is going to provide for us every good thing that we need. He will not leave us. His purpose is to do us good. And the reason why he does that is he tells us in verse 14 and 17, because if he doesn't test us and if he doesn't assure us that he's doing good to us, then what will happen is this, verse 14 and 17, we'll forget God and we'll become self-reliant. We'll start to say to ourselves, I'm the one that acquired all this wealth. I'm the one that used my skills that achieved all these things. I'm the one that has done everything so that we have a temptation to act as if we're self-made. It's why you might struggle to give because it's super easy to spend all your money on yourself. It's hard to think about God saying that he requires 10% as an act of devotion, a statement that he actually owns it all. It's hard to set aside time to prioritize worship and being of God's people. Why? Because it's the weekend and I'm so tired and worn out. I need this time to myself. See what I mean? Because the more that we achieve in our lives and the more that we get in our lives, the greater the temptation is to think, I've done this myself and not continue to give it back to God and not continue to center our lives on God. We get a little bit of success and we think we've done it all. We get a few compliments and think, you know what, I really am great at this. And I've done it myself. We don't say it out loud, we just act that way. And God is saying that he's determined to do us good by testing and providing so that we won't think that we have done anything in our own strength, anything. And that leads us to this. Don't forget, don't forget God's intention. Remember you're in the wilderness, remember it's a time of testing. Don't forget that God's intentions are clear. And also don't forget this. Don't forget that all of this is so that we would know, look at verse two, what is in our heart. And, verse five, that we would know that God loves us. Don't forget. Don't forget the wilderness. Don't forget testing. Don't forget that God is explicitly determined to do good to you because he's showing you your heart through, this, through all of it. He's showing you what your heart's anchored on. He's showing me what my heart is anchored in. And he's reminding us that he loves us through it all. Now, the way that I'd like to try to put this together is in the most practical way that I could come up with this week. So bear with me. Most of you in this room, most of you, most of us, I hesitate to say all, but I really want to, but I'm not, okay? Okay. Most of us have grown up in environments in which there was a lot of expectation put on us. There was pressure to achieve, to grow, to learn, to acquire, to get. My hunch is that you have, 
we have had at least one person in our life that it was that way. It's probably the person that you could never please, could never satisfy, you could never live up to their expectations, but you knew them and you felt the pressure of them all the time. My hunch is you've probably grown up that way. You've had a significant figure in your life, at least one who was pushing you in that way. And it meant, and what it produced in our lives is this. It produced people that are task-oriented. People that want to get things done. People that put a tremendous amount of value on achievement. People that put, that are very sensitive toward criticism and put a lot of stock in what we could accomplish. Sound familiar? But then somewhere along the line, even though we lived in that kind of pressurized environment of achieving and performing, somewhere along the line, someone told us about Jesus. And maybe we understood something along the lines of, oh, he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness and my relationship with God is by grace alone. And that felt like a brand new beginning to where this guilt was off, to where this sense of the love of God and glory of God was new. But guess what? It didn't take everything else away, did it? You realize that you continue to live as if your achievements are really important and there are people that you can't ever really make happy and you're not exactly sure that they actually love you, but man, you're working hard and trying hard, still sensitive toward criticism, still super dependent on self and what you think that you can achieve and that hasn't gone anywhere. You've just realized over time, I've just realized over time how deep that stuff actually is through living life, through the challenges that we face. Sound familiar? So what are you going to do? Are you going to get rid of it? What are you going to do when challenges come into your life? What are you going to think then? What have you thought? Because here are some options. You go through really challenging things in your life that you don't expect. I've had a couple of those the last couple years. I'm sure you have too. What do you think? What do you think? What are your options? Here's one option. Why is God doing this? Because what's below the surface in our understanding of Christianity is this. If I do good, then God will give me good things. If I do bad, then bad things will happen. In other words, when something comes into your life that's unexpected, you immediately think, here's one option. Oh, God's upset with me, I need to do something right. I need to get right. I need to double down, I need to do this, I need to do that. That's one option. And friends, if that's your go-to, let me tell you something, that's not Christianity. You've actually thought about Christianity in a way that's actually just self-help. That's just sprinkle a little bit of Christian language in there. But if you're operating under the assumption that if bad things happen in your life or challenging things come into your life and you feel like, well, if I'm good, I get good. If I'm bad, I get bad. That's not Christianity. Here's another option that you have. It's for you to understand and for me to understand more and more deeply 
that those moments where we're living in the wilderness and challenges come into our lives, those are the moments in which God is showing us our heart, in which I get to understand what is Dave's heart really anchored in when he gets the call that he, does, that he has the C word. What is my heart really anchored in? What is it that I really think about God? What is it that I really think about the gospel? When those things happen in our lives, we have the opportunity to turn to God and live into the four-part story. We have the opportunity to understand that Christ has gone where we are. He's been there. We have the opportunity to understand that he suffered just like we will suffer so that we can connect to him more deeply and draw strength from him and understand that our lives are not about getting what we want, but it's about God helping us process our past to equip us for our future. It's about God putting the brakes on us lest we think we accomplish everything ourselves and he's made us to see no, Do you see what's in your own heart? I love this story. It's meant so much to me. I've said it several times, but I I just keep coming back to it. This is not my story, but it's meant a lot to me. It's a story that when I came to Christ, I thought I was giving God everything. The reality is I was giving him 1%. And the rest of my life, he's been after the 99 You see, there was another day in the wilderness. You can read about in the gospel accounts with this guy named Jesus. Matter of fact, he was led into the wilderness, or Mark's account, driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And you know what Jesus faced in the wilderness? 40 intense days of testing. And you know what he was tempted? He was tempted to utilize his own power for his own comfort. The first temptation was, Jesus, why don't you turn this stone into bread if you're the son of God? And Jesus, you know what he says? Deuteronomy 8. I will not use my power for myself. I'm going to live by the every word of God. Do you know what preceded Jesus going into the wilderness and facing that intense testing? Oh, it was a day. It was a day when Jesus was baptized and the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That wilderness experience with Jesus was predicated on the love of his Father. That his father not only loved him, but delighted in him. And so what was Jesus doing in the wilderness? He was processing his past so that he would be equipped for his future. Beloved, Christianity is not true. Because it feels good. Christianity is true because it is the only thing left standing when you're in the wilderness. 